Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Life Podcast, late round dart edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. It is absolutely a great day to be great, and especially so when I'm joined by my friend, co-worker, all-around baller, Chris Allen. Chris, how's it going, man? I don't know, man. You say we're co-workers, but I remember <laughs> distinctly, if folks were to take a uh, take a listen to last week's episode, we were talking about getting together just this past Saturday, and let me tell y'all real quick, I show up to the brewery up in Columbus, Powell, Ohio. Right, I've never been there. Shut up, late. Okay, okay. For context, all right. If we want to add in that little nuance, yes, I I might have happened to have shown up maybe an hour and a half to two hours late, fashionably late. Y'all know how I do. But I get there, and of course, I see the rest of our league mates there, and I'm looking around. I'm like, where is Mr. Ian Harditz? We just talked about the fact that we were gonna have some beers on Saturday. We're like, oh yeah, Ian's out at a golf tournament. Like he just left like 15, 20 minutes ago. Yeah, so coworker. Absolutely. Friend, uh, you know, real life no. friend, where you at? Where you at, man? Okay, I'm here looking to have some beers with my buddy, and I couldn't even do that. But no, nah, I'm just giving you shit. Man. No, it's, it's all, I mean, it was a good time. Awesome day to go out and have some brews. So I'm sorry that I missed you. But no, we'll get together here like soon enough. We'll get some poker or something like that going. But no, let's talk about some late round darts, my guy, because I know, I don't know if it's the same for you, but once I get into those like 13th, 14th, 15th round, it's really just a crapshoot. It felt like a crapshoot until I started doing some research. But like, how do you typically approach like those, like, you know, those, your last like four, five, six picks? Landry and me and moving right on to the podcast. Chris, you are a true professional. Yes, we will go ahead and get into this late round business here. And Chris, again, what we are focused on here is true late round picks. So I hate when we get these, you know, yearly August sleeper articles that come out with a bunch of guys that you have to draft inside the first, you know, seven, eight rounds and all this going on. So we are talking outside the top 150 players. That's going to put you about in the middle of round 13 when you have a traditional 18 round 12 team draft. So Chris, with this in mind, I mean, you do have your article out there on fancylife.com that everyone can go find for free and the big three i guess archetypes you were trying to look at qbs with strong surroundings rbs and ambiguous backfields and forgotten wide receiver threes i think you nailed all those and the only other thing i would add is just you know trying to find the potentially explosive starting tight end late because that's the other position that we do see readily available with a bunch of jags over there in between so just in terms of uh, you know coming to those kind of again three main groups were you just you know reviewing basically the bbm data for the past three years looking for i guess who was consistently standing out amongst the late round pack Exactly. And that was the, the way that I got my start because that gives you some names. And I think that for a lot of drafters, it's like once you see the name for the most part, especially like if you look at historical data, that's when you start to get the, the feel goods, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Like he popped off at my league like later on in the season and, and uh, you know, they really helped me win my league. And that's fine in hindsight. But now if you project that same type of player forward, the, the same type of guy that, all right, he was a late round guy and he had the type of production that I needed. Well, they were in the late rounds for a reason, right? It was because the market didn't really feel that the situation was one we should be investing in. So if we try and now push that to the 2023 season, I came up with some weird names. But in, in my mind, if you're coming up with some players that make you feel uncomfortable, if there's some uncertainty that's associated with some of the guys that might fall out of your process, you might be on the right track because with the market being as sharp as it is, you might have to get a little weird in order to stumble onto the guy that could help you win $3 million or your uh, best ball league or whatever the case may be. But yeah, that was the general thought when trying to put together this article. 
And that last point is important, an important one to stress. We're going to talk about some gross players. Guess what? If they were not gross players, they would not be going outside the top 150 picks out there. So if it makes you squirm, makes you say, what the hell? Yeah, that's why they're going to slate in the first place. But maybe, just maybe, there is a method to getting them back up in that top 150. This time next year, should a few things go their way. Chris, kicking things off with the quarterback position. Sam Howe, alleged Washington Commanders QB1. There's been a steady drumbeat indicating that throughout the offseason, as our dear friend Sigmund Bloom might say. And just, I guess, looking at the overall, like where he's going right now, QB28 over underdog fantasy, pick 198.6. He's going next to legit backup wide receivers like Khalil Shakur, Miko Hardman, Michael Mayer, who may or may not even be the starting tight end in the Raiders, is right next to him. Leonard Fournette doesn't even have a team yet, Chris, and he is going next to Sam Howell. Talk about the Washington Commanders quarterback who quietly, man, look, your Bengals easily, in my opinion, have the best wide receiver trio in the NFL, but I don't think you need two hands to count the number of trios better than what Washington's working with with McLaurin, Dotson, and even Curtis Samuel. I think and that's the starting point, right? Because if you look at the players that surround the quarterback, that should at least give you some pause and make you think about the guy that's going to be passing them the football. How are we supposed to expect Terry McLaurin to pop off, Jahan Dotson to pop off, Curtis Samuel to be rolling down the field like on seam routes because he's he might be primarily working in the slot without Sam Howell being a mediocre quarterback, at least a useful quarterback on a weekly basis. Not the guy that you'd want to start. Like, say if this is your redraft league, I wouldn't say that he would be the guy you'd want to start the season with, but could he be a potential top 12 streamer type option? Absolutely. With the weapons he has around him, you could easily talk yourself into that type of scenario. And that was at least the qualitative way to start looking at Sam Howell as a potential guy that you'd want to target in the late rounds. But let's take it a bit further. What other types or what other what archetype of quarterback do we typically like to target even in the earlier or to or the middle rounds? Guys that can run. And we saw Sam Howell have a little bit of boogie to him, like when we saw him have that late, uh, start toward later on in the 2022 season. Rush for a touchdown, albeit, you know, it was the back end of the season and all that, but at least knowing that he has the capability to be a runner when even if he's under duress, scrambling, which we know to be an efficient play for quarterbacks. I mean, if he can do that, that's at least something that he has in his tool bag. And at the very least, if he's not adding to his production, negating some of the bad production, if he happens to have, you know, throw an interception or two or something along those lines to raise his floor. And that's what we want. But now can he raise his ceiling with the guys around him? Yes. But the other thing that I really wanted to pay attention to, at least for Sam Howell in particular, is what his development is going to look like. Because like I mentioned, he only had the one start last season. Didn't really see a ton of football out of him in his rookie campaign. But who does he have working alongside of him? He's got Eric Bieniemy. And I know it's tough to separate what Eric Bieniemy was to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid like when he was in Kansas City. But let's at least take a look at what Patrick Mahomes was, Mahomes was in his first season. Like while he might have been, you know, the second coming of insert all-time quarterback here and has surpassed all expectations, but in the first season of Patrick Mahomes as a starter, Eric Bieniemy, Andy Reid, they were having Patrick Mahomes uh, actually operate the Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs offense fifth highest play action rate, and we know play action to be one of the more efficient concepts for a passer. So if Eric Bieniemy takes that same process and applies that to a guy like Sam Howell, getting him out there on the move, maybe having shorter passes to put it in the hands of guys that can operate after the catch. We know Curtis Samuel can do it. Jahan Dotson can do it at the intermediate level. If Terry McLaurin is still Terry McLaurin, 
mean, that easily puts Sam Howell in the best possible situation. So while the uh, commanders have been more run heavy with Ron Rivera, if the enemy even moves them into, let's say, 20th and pass rate over expectation, increases that pass volume, guys like Antonio Gibson, maybe Logan Thomas, who's still on the field. I mean, all those things can kind of work in Sam Howell's favor. So with all that in mind, I think Sam Howell could be a guy to target, especially if you have one of those elite quarterbacks that you drafted earlier in your draft. And that is the times I find myself drafting the most Sam Howell, or, you know, if I get the dots or McLaurin early on, but it's when you have a Lamar or a, even a Herbert or a Trevor Lawrence, that's probably about the point where I start being willing to only roll with the two quarterback build. And then to be able to literally get Howell sometimes in the very last round, especially recently with not every single camp report, you know, being the most glowing thing ever. So the big point though, I think that, uh, you know, you touched on was this rushing upside, man. Cause again, it's not just Sam Howell in a vacuum. Like it's against as looking at the other quarterbacks going around him and you look at the best rushing season that these guys were able to put forward cj stroud had 108 yards in his best season uh bryce young 185 yards on the ground four touchdowns jordan love we saw him go for 175 yards kenny pickett even with the fake slide just 241 rushing yards and five touchdowns sam Howell's best collegiate rushing season 828 yards and 11 touchdowns, Chris, even with sacks accounting for negative rushing yards in college. And guess what? It wasn't fluky, man. Every single year I break down, you know, the incoming rushing ability of these uh, rookie quarterbacks and only Malik Willis averaged more missed tackles for us per carry than Sam Howe in his final season at North Carolina. So we know he can throw that deep ball. He was showing it off to Terry McLaurin in that week 18 game against the Cowboys. Also has some good rapport with Jahan Dotson. Love, love, love Sam Howe at such a cheap cost again in round 17 or 18. Chris, another guy I am targeting going around that same area of the draft, Denver Broncos wide receiver one, two, at least three, Timmy Patrick himself, wide receiver 88 and ADP right now, pick 205.4. I mean, look, man, he didn't even play a game last season, and this dude still has 11 touchdowns since 2020. Sutton and Judy combined have 13. So I know I'm going to get, you know, Twitter yardage regression group, you know, on my head for citing a touchdown stat here. But I just think that when we look at Patrick, man, there's an actual case that he is the best wide receiver in Denver. And he is now the fourth wide receiver off the board with even rookie Marvin Mims, who I I think is more of a KJ Hamler replacement than anything going ahead of him. So yes, he does turn 30 in November, but my God, he's going at the very end of these drafts. Like, guess what? If he was 25, he'd be going a hell of a lot higher. So if you want to call that the age cliff discount, go ahead and do it, man. He set himself in April. He's cleared to do everything. He was sitting next to Russ courtside, Chris, as everyone's looking at Russ being there with Sean Payton. Why not look at who Russ decided to bring to the game? So again, just like you were talking about, you know, to start this one, of the things you like is forgotten wide receiver threes. Tim Patrick is especially a forgotten wide receiver three because he didn't play last year, which sucks. But when he suffered the ACL tear in the middle of the summer, not in week 16, and we have it from the man himself that he is cleared to do everything all the way in April, feeling great about Tim Patrick. Last thing I will leave you guys with is pretty much, you know, head, I don't want to say head. I don't know the, uh, you know, pecking order of the Denver Broncos uh, beat reporters uh, going on, Chris, but Benjamin Albright is very tuned in to the Broncos. That is the team that he's, you know, typically following. And he said back in March that, and he's not really a fantasy guy, but he said, if he had a dynasty squad, he'd be trying to get Patrick. And then he replied to one of the people, if he's healthy, he is likely to be wide receiver one. So again, Chris, if I'd put my money down, who's going to be the Broncos wide receiver one? No, I, I think it's Jerry Judy. 
Jerry Judy's going round four, round five. Tim Patrick's going round 17, 18. Even if it's only a little chance, man, give me all the Tim Patrick at the end of drafts. One of the things that I had noted about finding one of those like wide receivers is not just the guy that's going late, like you had mentioned, but also how they're deployed on the field. If we're thinking about like late round type targets, I'm thinking almost historically like those Deshaun Jackson types, the guys that don't need a ton of volume, but since they do have that higher average depth of target, they only need like three, four, five catches, you know, maybe four catches, 60 yards and a touchdown or something along those lines in order to make their weeks. So if they have a higher A dot, have minimal volume in the offense. So let's say even like they might be the wide receiver three, they don't need much in order to create that spike week. Patrick actually fits into that. I typically thought, or at least coming into this, I thought Tim Patrick was actually going to be like their slot guy, essentially uh, their Tyler Boyd equivalent. But if you look at Tim Patrick's average depth of target, past two seasons, average between 12 and 13 yards, like per target. All right. So, I mean, his dot has been like 12 and 13 yards. So he's actually getting more of those intermediate type passes. And he's actually he's a huge dude. Was he like yeah. six, like six, four ish somewhere in that somewhere in that range? Six, so five of cleats on, Chris. There we go. <laughs> so it's just if he's already like a larger target catching some of those passes like downfield. I mean, it also, and he also does operate in the slot. Then, yes, I mean, he fits that archetype perfectly of a guy that doesn't need a ton of volume to pop off. Uh, even the GM, like for the Broncos, mentioned that one of the reasons that the offense completely broke down last season is they didn't have like just that, not necessarily safety blanket. I don't think that's the term that he used, but just a reliable pass catcher like in the, that could operate in the intermediate parts of the field for Russell Wilson. Because Jerry Judy was playing outside. Cortland Sutton obviously is a perimeter receiver. They didn't have that presence in the middle of the field. And Patrick is that guy. So if he's back healthy this year and obviously fits the profile for a guy that you want to target late, I 100% agree with you. Tim Patrick is like the perfect type of player to target in the late rounds. Tim Patrick, a.k.a. Denver Marquise Colston. Make it happen. Round oh, 17, yeah. round 18. Let's go. Chris, you have a running back that you want to touch on. And while it is a bit of a, it's not as much of an ambiguous backfield because we know who the starter is going to be. We don't exactly know if he is going to be featured as the true workhorse. And guess what? When we do have these starters around the NFL, as we all know, things can happen and the backups are forcing the action at different points throughout the year. So talk about Chuba Hubbard, the Panthers, seemingly RB2. They did not go out of their way to add any other competition here in the draft other than obviously signing Miles Sanders and free agency. But Chuba Hubbard sitting there, RB56, pick 181, going alongside guys like Tajay Spears, Kenneth Gamewell, and Chase Brown. I mean, the wide receivers here, Hunter Renfro, Isaiah Hodgins, Josh Downs. I've had a few concerns with Chuba, Chris, because I do want to be careful, you know, especially in light of all the Dalvin Cook stuff going on and people saying, oh, look at what Madison did in 2021. We do need to recognize that it is a new coaching staff out there, but when it is this freaking cheap, again, I think that part of that uncertainty is what's making him, you know, a freaking round 15, 16 guy off the board. So talk about Chuba Hubbard and what makes you want to throw that dart at him. Again, amidst just a bunch of other guys. I think that's the that's the key point that you made right there. For most drafters, is that we saw Miles Sanders and his connection with the new coaching staff, right? Because I know that Chuba Hubbard, while he was paired with Dante Foreman last year, both of them were making waves as potential. Let's say, again, quote, I hate using the term league winner, but since they, were, like, they weren't really coming on until the middle parts and later on in the season, they did become league winners for a lot of folks. 
But now with Frank Reich and Co. in Carolina, it's not going to be as cut and dry to say that, well, because Chuba Hubbard did so well last year, they should continue to like force feed him or even put him into just the, you know, RB2 type role that would feature him on a week to week basis. We can't assume that. But, but <laughs> if we were to look at how Miles Sanders has performed in the past, I mean, he hasn't been at least the, the stellar RB1 that his contract makes him out to be. Yes, he was an excellent rusher for the Philadelphia Eagles last season. But if we do look at the, I mean, just to caveat that, look at their offensive line. Watch the highlights, Chris, and show me more than one or two plays where Miles Sanders doesn't just get every single yard that's blocked and nothing more. I'm sorry. I would, I will agree that he was capable of like playing to his level and actually being able to create like on his own. But, but if you compare his rushing, his rushing metrics against Chuba Hubbard, if you want to look at yards after contact per attempt, force missed tackle rate, even explosive run rate, they are comparable. I wouldn't say that Sanders completely blows him out of the water, but it's just when you compare the two, there is at least some case to be made that the delta or the gap between the two in terms of value, where Sanders is being drafted at and where Hubbard is being drafted at, it requires just a little bit of scrutiny. I liken it to the CMC Elijah Elijah Mitchell gap between mm -hmm. the two, right? I mean, if it weren't for health, I would assume Elijah Mitchell might get pushed up some more. But that gap at least makes me believe that there's some value to be had. Considering Hubbard, he already displayed the fact that he was a, he can be an efficient runner. Also was an efficient pass catcher as well. Out of, the, out of the running backs that were there last season, outside of Christian McCaffrey, this is after the trade. In terms of yards per route run, Hubbard was the guy that was being used in the passing game because he was a bit more efficient, especially over Dante Foreman. And it's not like Sanders is, has been more efficient as a pass catcher either in his time in Philadelphia. So if we know from a profile standpoint that if Sanders were to go down, let's say it's not, I mean, just taking injury into account, Hubbard could take on like the, ma the majority role. He could be the RB1 like for the Panthers if Sanders wasn't there. But even if Sanders is there, he can be a guy that can play in short yardage. He can be the goal line back if needed to. He can work in on third down. Also in pass catching situations, two minute drills, things of that nature, where Sanders typically hasn't been able to operate. So if all of that kind of puts into my mind that he can force his way onto the field as the RB2 like for the Panthers, couldn't be going this deep in drafts at the very least. And if an injury situation does come up for Sanders, I mean, he immediately vaults into RB1 uh, type of consideration for me. Man, I've seen the, okay, Sanders went back to Carolina because of his relationship with Deuce Staley. And I've seen the mm -hmm. contract numbers, but you don't have to dig that much further past those questions to find major red flags there. I mean, yes, he loves being back with Deuce Staley. Did you guys also realize that Sanders was stuck in a committee alongside just guys like Jordan Howard and Boston Scott when he was with Deuce Staley in Philly? Also, when you look at the contract numbers, four years, 25 million, that's awesome. I mean, Dave Montgomery, he got three years, 18 million. Million and you know that's pretty much that's actually yeah just a little bit less than what Sanders is getting on a yearly basis and we're not exactly expecting him to take every single snap in Detroit and also I mean Deion Lewis is the other guy that actually got a similar oh, deal to Miles Sanders over the years and he I know it's a different player type and all that but you know he again wasn't exactly put forward to be the feature back I think we're looking a little bit too much about that money and just assuming that Sanders is going to have that three down roll I heard it was either Riker the GM you know after the draft so they do think he has his three down skill set but have we 
ever heard a coach get asked that question and just be like, no, this running back can't freaking catch. Like, get the hell out of here with that. Like, yeah. come on. So the thing that makes more sense to me was back in March when they asked Deuce Staley about how he thinks about running back committees. And he said he believes in using at least three running backs because playing the position is like being in a car crash. And if you do remember those early Eagles teams, Deuce Staley, Carell Buckhalter, and there was a, oh, uh, yeah, Brian Westbrook, yeah. obviously. Yeah, like they were regularly rotating it. And Staley has continued to do that pretty much at every stop of his NFL career. So I'm with you there. And hey, it's just a good example of, you know, I've talked about being down on Miles Sanders. And I guess what? Because I am down, I should probably be a little bit higher on someone like Chuba Hubbard. I got tight end for us here, Chris. Gerald Everett, Los Angeles Chargers, tight end one. There were some murmurs earlier in the offseason that he could be a cap casualty. Guess who also had those same exact murmurs? Keenan Allen. But that is why Everett got actually pushed down as far as he did, I believe, you know, in the old fantasy ranks. Right now, in underdog fantasy, tight end 19 going off the board is pick 163. He does turn 29 later this month, but as we've seen, you know, relative to other positions, only quarterbacks are usually putting forward more late career success than tight ends and fantasy land. Just set career high marks in pretty much every single counting statistic you want to look at yes you know we had the one play chris the one play where a gas gerald everett you know was too tired to be on the field and herbert proceeds to throw a pick six does anyone ever remember why everett was so tired in the first place because he just gained 30 yards to get them down inside the five yard line man so like look if we had seen them just after that play like sit Everett on the bench the rest of the season like that'd be one thing but we're literally like holding a play that happened in week three against this guy you know like a year later how come no one ever talks about the last time we saw Gerald ever play when he went for 109 yards in a tutty and that wild card loss to the uh, Jaguars so I just think with Everett man We've heard even Brandon Staley after the draft, you know, talking about Quentin Johnston, basically saying like, oh, just having these, you know, extra help on the outside is going to help guys on the inside. And he literally said Gerald before Austin Eckler, man. So I really do think he is the clear cut starting tight end in an ascending passing offense led by Justin Herbert, because that's exactly what he was last season. And they didn't add anything to the position other than re-signing, you know, Donald Parham and some of the already clear cut backups to the equation. So when you look at it last year, 87 targets for Gerald Everett, Trey McKitty, Donald Parham, and Richard Rodgers combined for 34. I mean, there's a pathway to triple-digit targets in one of the best passing games in the NFL. And the fact he's going behind guys like Irv Smith, like Jawan Johnson, who I don't feel nearly as confident about having that starting role. Chris, all the Gerald Everett, there is not a tight end I have drafted more over underdog this year. Let's take a step back. (laughs) For the tight end position... As a whole, drafting tight ends has typically fallen into a couple of strategies, right? It's been the, you take a guy early, you get the Travis Kelsey's, the Mark Andrews, the Kyle Pitts of the world, and then you wait until late. Or you can do the three tight end build where you get like the Dallas Goddard's of the world, and then maybe try and like pitch in with a couple of guys like later on towards the later rounds. Been hearing more about this four tight end build. You've been hearing about this? Like folks I, like Justin <laughs> Herzig, they've been you know kind of looking at the advance rates over the past couple of seasons. TJ Hernandez over at four for four have been diving into roster builds from BBM one, two, and three, and seeing like oh four tight end builds. If you're looking at using them as your like last four out of your five picks, 
four tight ends or even three tight ends if you want to go that route. I've seen the kids chattering about it, Chris, but I also did see Pete's hilarious, uh, you know, YouTube short, TikTok, whatever the heck it was, you know, just kind of critiquing that. Right when Pete got behind the three tight end builds, they upped at the four. Some <laughs> yeah. jokers out here are going five in this economy, no less. Right, exactly. But let's say you let's say you go to you know you believe the math i mean 19 percent advance uh, playoff advance rate for four tight end builds uh, for just last season alone if you were to use them out of four four of your last five picks if you believe the numbers and you want to subscribe to that that's fine but what type of tight end would you want to target you trying to just go ahead and just summarily grab like you mentioned do you want to get like john johnson on your team okay a part of the saints that so we'll see if they have attach yourself to Derek carr okay you want to draft, you want to put Austin Hooper on your squad? You want to you want to get involved in that offense? No. Why would you not want to at least target offenses that are piloted by elite quarterbacks like a Justin Herbert? And especially if you were to draft Justin Herbert, but you weren't able to get Keenan Allen, you lost out on Mike Williams, you didn't have the right draft slot in the first round to get Austin Eckler, and you want that sweet, sweet week 17 correlation right? How, what's the easiest way to get access to a player that's attached to Justin Herbert? At, I mean, without the opportunity costs associated with the rest of his pass catchers, Gerald Everett's right there. He fits like, he fits like in so many different ways or like in so many different avenues to get to the point where you would want Gerald Everett. And, and from a target standpoint and where he earns targets, like on the field for the chargers, second last season in red zone targets and for tight ends, just falling into the end zone will get you into the top 12 almost every week. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, Gerald Everett for his cost right now, what he is to the team, and how you can build unique rosters in BBM four that could potentially get you three million dollars. Everett checks almost every single box. And like per year, he's making six million dollars. Jawan Johnson is barely above that. Dalton Schultz is two hundred fifty thousand dollars above that. Conklin, like Hayden Hurst, is making an extra you know one point two five million per year, which is significant, and you stretch it over the years. Okay, fine, but again, I don't think it's always about the money with that. When again, they haven't brought in any other dudes to make you think that's going away. The dude they brought in is Kellen Moore, who was basically known for getting more out of Dalton Schultz than you would have expected because of how much he just left him out there on the field. So Gerald Everett, yes, I'm with you, Chris. I've also drafted a ton of Justin Herbert, and even getting more into the Russell Wilson, uh, you know, just craze because of how kind of far he is falling relative mm -hmm. to the rest of those pocket QBs. So you got your potential for the week 17 bring back with Russ or just your straight up stacking partner with Justin Herbert. Love, love, love me some Gerald Everett. Chris, you have a wide receiver we want to talk about. He's been featured a little bit here in our newsletter over the weeks. I think Pete talked about him uh, recently and now starting to get that OTA hype that you love to see. Second year option, Tyquan Thornton for the New England Patriots. Went out there last year, dealt with some injuries, I believe, right out of camp. So we didn't even get to see him necessarily at his best self throughout the season, but did flash. He was on a Mr. Two Million, uh, Pat Corain's, you know, weeks or just overall best ball mania winner, you know, scored those two touchdowns. I believe in week 17 last season and just looking at the Patriots right now Devontae Parker is looking like they're probable you know wide receiver one on the outside you got Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot but I know some people are still holding out hope for Kendrick Bourne. You know, we got a booty from LSU out there as well, but come on, day three wide receiver. I don't care about what he did in 2021. It's looking like Tyquan Thornton is, to your previous archetype point, going to be in three wide receiver sets. And just based on some of the things he showed in year one, going off the board as the wide receiver 75, man, pick 173. A lot of upside that's not necessarily being baked in the Tyquan's cost right now. 
Which is interesting if you compare, the, like you mentioned, like the archetype of receiver, having that higher A dot. And we're excited about Jahan Dotson, right? Uh, same class, right? And if you look at the quarterback situation between the Patriots and the Commanders, uh, I don't know. The, some folks that are pessimistic about the Patriots would probably make the argument that Sam Howell is better than Mac Jones. People probably say that. But, I mean, if the quarterback situation is comparable and the, I mean, the draft capital spent, Tyquan Thornton also day two pick. So it's just, what's, what am I missing here? I mean, you can almost make an arbitrage case like between the two, considering that the way that they're deployed on the field is fairly similar. And Mac Jones as a deep ball passer wasn't that bad. Of course, he took a step back in 2022. He regressed in almost every passing metric with Matt Patricia at the helm. But if we assume with Bill O'Brien uh, coming back to New England, helping Mac Jones in his development, there's even a mediocre step forward. Tyquan Thornton, like you like you had mentioned, having that higher average depth of target, and really when you get into like those types of those types of pass attempts, I mean, who else is really going to charge like challenge him for those deep ball targets? I mean, Juju Smith Schuster ain't doing that. Devonte Parker potentially every now and again he has been that perimeter type receiver, that jump ball contested catch like type of guy, but at this stage of his career, can't really expect him to compete with a guy like Tyquan Thornton who. The speed has the contested catch ability coming out of college. I mean, to really be that type of receiver for them, but also he can work in the intermediate parts of the field as well. So if Mac Jones is going to be more of a downfield thrower this season versus that short, quick game stuff that they were trying to incorporate that had him yelling on the sidelines throughout most of the most of last season, if there's more of a pass forward or pass deep approach to the offense, Tyquan Thornton is that guy that can create spike weeks on a week uh, on a week to week or has the potential to do so on a week to week basis. So again, fits that archetype to a T. And right now, where he's going at on uh, in drafts, I can see the arbitrage case between him and a guy like Jahan Dotson. I'm hesitant with the whole Mac Jones thing to write off every single little bit on Matt Patricia because I just think Bill Belichick's smarter than letting his young QB completely get tanked by one of his own coaches. But I recognize how bad it did get at times out there, Chris. So at a minimum, man, like I'm expecting them to get back to, I don't know, maybe not a top five, top 10 offense, but okay, get back to average, maybe just a little bit below average as opposed to the atrocity that they were last season. So getting just that little bump up all of a sudden could make potentially their wide receiver one in Tyquan Thornton, their tight end one in Hunter Henry, and accordingly their QB one Mac Jones. Really, really smash some of these late round values. One of the cheapest stacks you can make, you know, in rounds 15 and on out there. And I do think there's some credence to the idea that you could see them, you know, get things going. Do you have that week 17 matchup against the Bills? And, you know, again, if you're just looking for a guy that has that one hitter quitter ability to go take one in the house in a second's notice, I do think it's Tyquan Thornton. I did mess up. He had one touchdown in week 17 last year. My apologies. Second career game was when he had the rushing touchdown allowed as well. So hand up. My bad, everyone. We'll watch the film and get better. I got another late-round wide receiver. I am targeting Chris. Jaden Reed, wide receiver, 71, pick 158. Yeah, man, doing great things with the Packers right now and apparently already the starting slot wide receiver, which is pretty rare to see from non-first-round talents. Even first-round talents sometimes can't get out there immediately. As much of a freaking joke as the B.C. Johnson, Justin Jefferson thing was, 
I know it's the COVID offseason. I know Jefferson, I think, even got a little bit banged up during uh, training camp. But, like, BC Johnson really did work ahead of Justin Jefferson the first two weeks of that season. And then he blew it up. Then he blew it up against the Titans. You know, the rest is history and everything. But as much as we love mocking that tr- that uh, tweet back in the day where it's like Jefferson, you know, working behind BC Johnson, that's how the season at least started. So the fact that, again, Jaden Reed is already getting first-team slot reps and saying that, you know, he can work on the outside is great news because that really is the thing. He's not one of these players that I think is pigeonholed to the slot, but it seems like it would potentially help his development. I've been shouting out a lot of Dane Brugler's, you know, the Beast commentaries here. And again, here is his quick little summary on Jaden Reed. Overall, Reed will have a tougher time overcoming his slight size versus NFL defensive backs, but his speed, route tempo, and downfield ball skills are the ingredients of a potential NFL playmaker. With a few technical tweaks to his game, he has NFL starting ability, slot and outside, and adds value as a return man. So, Chris, it sounds like, again, not the biggest guy in the world, so we could have some problem in press coverage. So the slot role is just going to help potentially the one thing that could cause him early you know, career problems. So one of the single, it is actually just in terms of real life dollars, the cheapest wide receiver room in the NFL. It's going to be Christian Watson, Romeo Dubs, and then also Jaden Reed sitting in there. He was wide receiver six in Dwayne's supermodel, you know, JSN, Addison, Quentin Johnston, Marvin Mims, Zay Flowers, and Jalen Hyatt are the only other guys with a score over 0.7. Good prospect, wide open situation, and dirt cheap in fantasy, Chris. Sign me up. I think that's the easiest way to look at it. And if we look how Jordan loves operated as a passer, he has like kind of tended towards some of those shorter dot passes had an average depth of target of 7.6, 7.8 yards over the past couple of seasons. We have seen him sling it. So if he is targeting that short intermediate parts of the field, and we would expect at least a modicum of let's let Jordan love get the ball out quick. Let's use the receivers that we've got, whether it's Watson who can create explosives after the catch, Dobbs that can move things like down the field. And of course, Reed, who was also like decent as an after the catch or being able to create after the catch, like when he was in college, I mean, all those things kind of lead me to, yeah, like love has the uh, potential or the propensity rather to target that area of the field. Like you mentioned, Reed can operate in the slot with both Watson playing, maybe he's playing as flanker, maybe Dobbs, like as the operating as the X, something along those lines. And if Reed like does get that coveted slot role, all matches up like for for a guy like him to be able to succeed against zone coverage and week 17 matchup against the vikings we know that defense is something that's going to be uh let's say a little bit of a you know one to target throughout most of the 23 season so if i'm looking to uh target that uh that particular week 17 matchup i read is the easy call for a late round dart in order to get access to that game one more on your end, Chris. Certain rising third-year wide receiver. Disappointed early in his career, but you know what? There have been exceptions to the rule that you need to show something in year one before you actually can put forward some big-time fantasy numbers. And he did flash, especially for you film watchers out there, different portions of 2022. Of course, I'm talking about Panthers wide receiver Terrence Marshall going at wide receiver 91 underdog fantasy. Pick 210. Literally there in the final round of drafts. And, you know, 
just as someone that's been drafting a lot of Calvin Ridley and, you know, Trevor Lawrence in the middle rounds, it's been nice being able to get that, you know, week 17 stacking partner on the cheap when guys like Jonathan Mingo and Adam Thielen are being taken off the board too early. Chris, I was just Twitter searching Terrence Marshall, you know, making sure we didn't miss anything as we go through this. And we had a beat reporter basically coming out and saying like, Terrence Marshall, that's it. That's the tweet. Can't post a video of it right now, but I'm sure the Panthers will post it later. So the dude's out there making big time plays in practice. We even had Panthers beat writer Mike K uh, believe Terrence Marshall is quote unquote on the cusp of a breakout campaign. So more than anything, man, I think it's a pretty similar argument to Tim Patrick where you don't have the same you know investment that Patrick got in terms of a second contract, but you do have the original draft capital and you have the potential, if not likelihood, that he's going to start the season in three wide receiver sets. I think people are getting just a little too excited about the potential for Mingo and Marvin Mims in those respective situations to take away from it. Talk about Terrence Marshall with Bryce Young, who allegedly is pretty damn good at football and what Marshall could do in 2023. So again, I want to take a step back and let's think about what Marshall was as a receiver in college. That famed LSU team that gave me, us Ohioans, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, also featured a slot receiver by the name of Terrace Marshall. But fast forward over the past couple of seasons to his move to the Panthers, we haven't seen him being used out of the slot as often, especially last year. He was down to less than 10% of his routes, like being run out of the slot, which is kind of highlights the, I guess, the level of, uh, you know, incapability, I mean, incompetence of the coaching staff. There we go. When you, when you know you have, a, a, you know, a viable, if like highly efficient slot receiver, but yet, now nah, we'll just go and throw him out to the perimeter. So let's assume Frank Reich is smart enough to see that we can, that he can use a guy like Marshall, like in the slot. But even if he doesn't, Let's say they keep the same roles. Let's compare them to the guy that everybody looks at the highlight reels for. It was LaVisca Chenault that was taking, you know, two-yard passes, like, to the house, like, last season. It was Terrace Marshall that was you know, catching, or, like, being, uh, he actually had both a receiving touchdown and a long rushing touchdown as well. It was, it was that guy, like, that, were the, that the Panthers were putting up highlight reels for, like, uh, out on social media. Terrace Marshall wasn't getting that. But if you look at, I mean, I, I look at, LaVisca Chenault's stats, he has a negative A dot. I can't take that seriously. Yards per route run, though, Chris, with a minimum like 24 target like, sample size. <laughs> how, how are you supposed to take like a negative 0.6 A dot seriously and project that into the future? No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. If you just look at the target shares, Marshall had a larger target share, more red zone targets, I mean, more targets on third and fourth down in obvious passing situations, more deep ball targets. I mean, it was Marshall, 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 Marshall. So they if he are. was getting the overall var overall volume as compared to Chenault, even if the coaching change like happened, if he was the larger target earner between the two in more critical situations, and we'll assume he's he could potentially be moving back into that slot role that we know that he can be highly efficient from. Yeah, I, I would rather take my shot on Marshall, who we knew to be a high prospect like coming out of college, I mean, versus Lavisca Chenault, who showed flashes of being a productive receiver. 
I think Visca is just on the CPAT, you know, career arc. So we'll see him, you know, really start putting forward some uh, good fantasy football goodness in 2027 and beyond. But yes. for now, I am with you, Terrence Marshall. Likely, you know, again, a starting wide receiver for the Panthers. And God forbid Bryce Young just starts to actually look like one of the best quarterbacks. I mean, he was drafted to be that. All of a sudden, we're going to be looking at these Panthers wide receiver ADPs going, what the hell were we thinking back in the summer? Final note here, guys. I'll make this one quick, but Matthew Stafford going cute. QB 21 pick 159.9. It's just, it's another example of a guy who is still as cheap as he is because of problems that no longer apply to him. Like, okay, I get it. In March and April, when he was going this late, we didn't know if he was going to retire. We had the issues with the spine, with the neck, with the elbow. And we had to wonder if the Rams were even going to dip their toes into the free agent quarterback market, or maybe use a high round pick on it. You fast forward and okay, Stetson Bennett, you know, broke my heart last January, but or December 31st, what a way to start the fucking year but anyway not thinking he's going to go out there and take anything away from Stafford and just actually saw this update from Dr. Jeff Mueller at JM Thrive PT on Twitter fantastic follow where he basically said Stafford throwing well in OTAs no news about any lingering elbow issues from last year should be well past that main issue was a spinal cord contusion should be a non-issue now he's cleared should be on your radar for 2023 he's not retiring and again there's only Stetson freaking Bennett there who is not going to be taken over this offense you only have to go all the way back to 2021 to find Stafford leading the entire NFL and adjusted EPA per play including the playoffs that year he was also the Q excuse me the QB 11 Chris in fantasy points per game only 0.25 fantasy points per game behind Joe Burrow only 0.6 behind Lamar Jackson so I know last year was terrible he averaged 12 fantasy points per game it was bad and maybe he could be bad again but at this cost man he can be bad and he's not going to sink your roster. Whereas if you go ahead and you draft, you know, Geno Smith or Kirk Cousins, four plus rounds ahead of Stafford and they're bad, much higher chance of that nuking your roster. So again, we talked about this a lot throughout the offseason. It's a very long QB2 tier of pocket passers and Stafford, Chris, is easily the cheapest of the bunch. Exactly. And if we can think about what the offense was for the Rams, like under Stafford, I mean, top five, top six in pass rate over expectation. I mean, the market is clearly telling us Cooper Cup is still going to be one of the top receivers in the game. Van Jefferson, who was, I mean, completely rocked like with injuries, like multiple injuries last season, should be back healthy. So now you at least have a wide receiver two to stretch the field. Could also create spike weeks. He's another decent late round target or mid round target if you want to go that route. And also Cam Akers, who can be a viable pass catcher in his own right. So if I'm seeing multiple pieces, like multiple pass game options for Stafford, we know the volume is going to be there uh, with Sean McVay being an efficient offense as well. I mean, yeah, sign me up for him, especially at his cost. I don't even care. Like he might not be the rusher. I mean, not that Stafford ever was a guy that could you know, rush for a ton of yards, but even if like, even as a pocket passer at this stage of his career with the weapons he's got, I'll sign up for that cost all day long. But again, like none of these guys going ahead of him are rushers. Cousins, you know, Rogers, Goff, yeah, right. Russ at this point in his career, Derek. Nah. Jordan freaking love is going ahead of Matthew Stafford now, everyone. Like, what the hell are we smoking out here? Matthew Stafford, great, great late round QB. So quickly to summarize, guys, eight of Chris and I's favorite late round targets pick 150 or later Washington Commanders QB Sam Howell Los Angeles Rams QB Matthew Stafford Panthers running back Chuba Hubbard also have that's their only running back okay so uh, Patriots wide receiver Tyquan Thornton Panthers wide receiver Terrence Marshall Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick Packers wide receiver Jaden Reed and Chargers tight end Gerald Everett 
Truly a great day to be great with you, Chris. Thank you, everyone out there, for again tuning into the Fancy Life Podcast. We are back with, I don't know, like six-plus episodes per week, and it's June. One might say that we love fantasy football over here and only going to get more exciting here as the summer months go on and we get closer and closer to redraft season. So thank you guys for tuning in. Subscribe to our free newsletter if you have not already, and yeah, have a great freaking day. For Chris, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning in to the Fantasy Life Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.